Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast. Uh, and welcome to 2023. Happy New Year. Um, so I just straight up forgot to do the podcast yesterday, which is not normal. That's only happened a handful of times since uh, I started daily podcasting, so that's strange. It was New Year's Eve, but I kind of feel like that wasn't even really the reason. I just feel like I just straight up forgot. We didn't. We, it's not like we did anything crazy for for New Year's. We just had a had a nice dinner out and sat in the balcony and counted down. You know, pretty chill one. Um, I smoked a nice big cigar, which was cool. I don't do that very often, but I do like to do it on an occasion. Um, but, you know, none of that's a reason to forget to do the daily thing that I do, so I find that quite strange. Anyway, it happened. I missed a day. <clears throat> Apologies for that. Probably you were all doing your own New Year's things anyway, so um, we're all good. Techrific says Happy New Year. Thanks, Techrific, and to you too. And I guess we're talking about Matthew Arnold. Uh, I really liked these Matthew Arnold poems. I thought they were, uh, like, way up there, you know. So far in the book, they're amongst my favourites. I liked that they were quite plain in their language, but um, the storytelling felt... I don't know, just, uh, what's the word, sort of timeless and modern at the same time for, for how old it is. When when were these written? Um, probably late 1800s or something like that. Um, so yeah, anyway, I really liked it. Swim says the mama fishy's got some gossip about Matthew Arnold for us. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I called it gossip, but let's go with that. I'd never heard of Matthew Arnold, says Swim, and was puzzled why there were so many poems by him. It turns out he is sometimes considered one of the three greatest Victorian poets in the 19th century, Tennyson and Browning being the other two. Oh, okay, there you go. He's among good company. The internet tells us Arnold's poetry continues to have scholarly attention lavished upon it, in part because it seems to furnish such striking evidence for several central aspects of the intellectual history of the 19th century, especially the corrosion of faith by doubt. No poet, presumably, would wish to be summoned by later ages merely as an historical witness, but the sheer intellectual grasp of Arnold's verse renders it peculiarly liable to this treatment. Matthew Arnold has been characterised as a sage writer, a type of writer who chastises and instructs the reader on contemporary social issues. Sage writing was a genre of creative non-fiction popular in the Victorian era. Sage writing is a development from ancient wisdom literature, a genre of literature common in the ancient Near East, in which the writer chastises and instructs the reader about contemporary social issues of often utilising discourses of philosophy, history, politics and economics in non-technical ways. Prominent examples of the genre include writings by Thomas Carlyle, Matthew Arnold, John Ruskin and Henry David Thoreau. 
Some 20th century writers such as John Didion and new journalists such as Norman Mailer and Tom Wolfe have also been identified. All right. We have more uh, Matthew Arnold to read. So where are we up to? We are up to To Marguerite. Yes, in the sea of life enisled, with echoing straits between us thrown, doting, dotting the shoreless watery wild, we mortal millions live alone, the islands feel the enclasping flow, and then their endless bounds they know. But when the moon their hollows lights, and they are swept by balms of spring, and in their glens on starry nights the nighting gales divinely sing, and lovely notes from shore to shore across the sounds and channels pour. Oh, then a longing like despair is to their farthest cavern sent, for surely once they feel we were parts of a single continent. Now round us spreads the watery plain, oh, might our marges meet again. Who ordered that their longings fire should be as soon as kindled cooled who renders vain their deep desire a god a god their severance ruled and bade betwixt their shores to be the unplumbed salt estranging sea requiescat strew on her roses roses and never a spray of you in quiet she reposes, ah, what that I did do. Oh, sorry, ah, would that I did too. Let me start that again. Strew on her roses, roses are never a spray of you. In quiet she reposes, ah, would that I did too. Her mirth the world required, she bathed it in smiles of glee, but her heart was tired, tired, and now they let her be. Her life was turning, turning, in mazes of heat, and sound, but for peace her soul was yearning, and now peace laps her round, a cabined ample spirit, it fluttered and failed for breath. Tonight it doth inherit the vasty hall of death. The Scholar Gypsy Go, for they call you, shepherd from the hill, go, shepherd, and untie the wattled coats. No longer leave thy wistful flock unfed, nor let thy bawling fellows rack their throats, nor the cropped grasses shoot another head. But when the fields are still, and the tired men and dogs all gone to rest, and only the white sheep are sometimes seen, cross and recross the strips of moon-blanched green, come shepherd and again begin the quest. Here where the reaper was at work of late, in his high field dark corner where he leaves his coat his basket and his earthen cruise and in the sun all morning binds the sheaves then here at noon comes back his stores to use here will i sit and wait while the to my ear from uplands far away the bleating of the folded flocks is borne with the distant cries of reapers in the corn all the live murmur of a summer's day Screened in this nook over the high, half-reaped field. And here till sundown, shepherd will I be, Through the thick corn, the scarlet poppies peep, And round green roots and yellowing stalks I see, Pale blue, convolvulus, in tendrils creep, 
and air-swept lindens yield their scent and rustle down their perfumed showers of bloom on the bent grass where I am laid and bower me from the August sun with shade and the eye travels down the Oxford's towers and near me on the grass lies Glanville's book come let me read the oft read tale again the story of the Oxford scholar poor of pregnant parts and quick inventive brain you tired of knocking at preferment's door one summer morn forlorn forsook his friends and went to learn the gypsy law and roamed the world with thy, uh, that wild brotherhood and came as most men deemed too little good but came to oxford and his friends no more but once years after in the country lanes two scholars whom at college erst he knew met him and of his way of life inquired whereat he answered that the gypsy crew his mates had arts to rule as they desired the workings of men's brains and they can bind them to what thoughts they will and i he said the secret of their art when fully learned will to the world's impart but it needs heaven sent moments for this skill this said he left them and returned no more but rumours hung about the countryside that the lost scholar long was seen to stray seen by rare glimpses pensive and tongue-tied in hat of antique shape and cloak of grey the same the gypsies wore shepherds had met him on the hearst in spring at some lone alehouse in the berkshire moors on the warm ingle bench the smocked frocked boars had found him seated at their entering but amid their drink and clatter he would fly and i myself seem half to know thy looks and put the shepherd's wanderer on thy trace and boys who in lone wheat fields scare the rooks i ask if thou hast passed their quiet place or in my boat i lie moored to the cool bank in the summer heats mid wide grass meadows with the sunshine fills and watch the warm green muffled comnor hills and wonder if thou hast hauntest their shy retreats for most i know thou lovest retired ground thee at the fairy oxford riders blithe returning home on summer nights have met crossing the stripling thames at bablock heath trailing in the cool stream thy fingers wet as the slow punt swings round and leaning backwards in a pensive dream and fostering in thy lap a heap of flowers plucked in shy fields and distant witchwood bowers and thine eyes resting on the moonlit stream and then they land and thou art seen no more maidens who from the distant hamlets come to dance around the firefield elm in may oft through the darkening fields have seen thee roam or cross a stile into the public way oft thou hast given them store of flowers the frail leafed white anomine and anemone dark bluebells drenched with dews of summer eves and purple orchises with spotted leaves but none has words she can report of thee and above godstow bridge when hay times here in june and many a scythe in sunshine flames 
men who through those wide fields of breezy grass where black-winged swallows haunt the glittering Thames to bathe in the abandoned Lasher Pass have often passed the near sitting upon the river bank overgrown marked by an outlandish garb thy figure spare thy dark vague eyes and soft abstract air but when they came from bathing thou were gone at some lone homestead in the Cumnor hills where at her open door the housewife dance thou hast been seen or hanging on a gate to watch the threshers in the mossy barns children who early range these slopes and late for creases from the rills have known thee watching all an april day the springing pastures and the feeding keen and marked thee when the stars come out and shine through the long dewy grass move slow away in autumn on the skirts of bagley wood where most of the gypsies by the turf-edged way pitch their smoked tents in every bush you see with scarlet patched tagged and shreds of grey above the forest ground called the Salay, the blackbird picking food sees thee nor stops his meal nor fears at all so often he has known thee past him stray wrapped twirling in thy hand a withered spray and waiting for the spark from heaven to fall and once in winter on the causeway chill where home through flooded fields foot travellers go have i not passed thee on the wooden bridge wrapped in thy cloak and battling with the snow thy face towards hinksy and its wintry ridge and thou hast climbed the hill and gained the white brow of the cumnor range turned once to watch while thick the snowflakes fall the line of festal light in christ church hall then sought thy straw in some sequestered grange but what i dream two hundred years have flown since first thy story ran through oxford hills halls and the grave glanville did the tale inscribe that thou wert wandered from the studious walls to learn strange arts and join that gypsy tribe and thou from earth art gone long since and in some quiet churchyard laid some country nook where over thy unknown grave tall grasses and white flowering nettles wave under a dark red-fruited yew tree's shade no no thou hast not felt the lapse of hours for what wears out the life of mortal men tis that from change to change their being rolls tis that repeated shocks again again exhaust the energy of strongest souls and numb the elastic powers till having used our nerves with bliss and teen and aired upon a thousand schemes our wit to the just pausing genius we remit our worn-out life and are what we have been thou hast not lived why shouldst thou perish so thou hadst one aim one business one desire else wert thou long since numbered with the dead else hadst thou spent like other men thy fire the generations of thy peers have fled and we ourselves shall go but thou possessest an immortal lot and we imagine thee exempt from age and being and living as thou livest on glanville's page because thou hadst what we alas have not for early didst thou leave the world with powers fresh undiverted to the world without firm to their mark not spent on other things free from the sick fatigue the languid doubt which much to have tried in much been baffled brings o life unlike to ours who fluctuate idly without term or scope 
of whom each strives nor knows for what he strives, and each half lives a hundred different lives, who wait like thee but not like thee in hope. Thou waitest for the spark from heaven, and we, vague half-believers of our casual creeds, who never deeply felt nor clearly willed, whose insight never has borne fruit in deeds, whose weak resolves never have been fulfilled, for whom each year we see breeds new beginnings, disappointments new, who hesitate and falter life away, and lose tomorrow the ground won today. Ah, do not we wander await it too? Yes, we await it, but it still delays, and then we suffer, and amongst us one, who most has suffered, takes dejectedly his seat upon the intellectual throne, and all his store of sad experience he lays bare of wretched days, tells us his misery's birth and growth and signs, and how the dying spark of hope was fed, and how the breast was soothed, and how the head and all this hourly varied anodynes. This for our wisest, and we others pine, and wish the long unhappy dream would end, and wave all claim to bliss, and try to bear, who with closed-lipped patience, for our only friend, sad patience, too near neighbour to despair. But none has hoped like thine. Thou through the fields and through the woods dost stray, roaming the countryside a truant boy, nursing thy project in unclouded joy, and every doubt long blown by time away. O oh, born in days when wits were fresh and clear, and life ran gaily as the sparkling Thames, before this strange disease of modern life, with its sick hurry, its divided aims, its head overtaxed, its palsied hearts, was rife, fly hence, our contact fear still fly, plunge deeper in the bowering wood, averse, as Dido did with gesture stern. From her false friends approach in Hades' turn, wave us away and keep thy solitude, still nursing the unconquerable hope, still clutching the inviolable shade, with a free onward impulse brushing through by night the silvered branches of the glade, far on the forest skirts, where none pursue, on some mild pastoral slope, emerge and resting on the moonlit pales, freshen thy flowers as in former years, with dew or listen with enchanted ears from the dark dingles to the nightingales. But fly our paths, our feverish contact fly, for strong the infection of our mental strife, which, though it gives no bliss, yet spoils for rest, and we should win thee from thy own fair life, like us distracted and like us unblessed. Soon, soon thy cheer would die, thy hopes grow timorous and unfixed, thy powers and thy clear aims be crossed and shifting made, and then thy glad perennial youth would fade, Fade and grow old at last and die like ours. Then fly our greetings, fly our speech and smiles as some grave Tyrian trader from the sea descried at sunrise an emerging prow lifting the cool-haired creepers stealthily, the fringes of the southward-facing brow among the Aegean isles and saw the merry Gracian coaster come freighted with amber grapes and she in wine green-bursting figs and tunnies steeped in brine, and knew the intruders on his ancient home, the young, light-hearted bastards of the waves, and snatched his rudder and shook out more sail. 
day and night held an indignantly over the blue Midlands water with the gale betwixt the Searst and the soft Sicily to where the Atlantic raves outside the western straits and unbent sails there where down cloudy cliffs through sheets of foam shy traffickers the dark Iberians come and on the beach undid his corded bales. Yikes, that was a long last poem. A few more short ones and we're finished with this poet, so let's push on. Philomela, Harker, the nightingale, the tawny-throated hark, from that moonlit cedar, what a burst, what triumph, hark, what pain, O wanderer from the Grecian shore, still after many years in distant lands, still nourishing in thy bewildered brain, that wild, unquenched, deep, sunken, old world pain, say, will it never heal? And can this fragrant lawn, with its cool trees and night, and the sweet tranquil Thames and moonshine and the dew, to thy racked heart and brain afford no balm? Dost thou tonight behold here through the moonlight on this English grass, the unfriendly palace and the threshing wild? Dost thou again pursue with hot cheeks and seared eyes? Thee too clear web, and thy dumb sister's shame, dost thou once more assay thy flout and feel come over thee, poor fugitive, the feather, feathery change, once more and once more seem to make resound, with love and hate, triumph and agony, love, dualis, and the high Cephisian veil, listen, Eugenia, how thick the bursts come crowding through the leaves again, thou hearest eternal passion, eternal pain. One's called Shakespeare. Others abide our question, thou art free. We ask and ask, thou smiles and art still. Our topping knowledge from the loftiest hill, that the stars uncrowns his majesty, planting his steadfast footsteps in the sea, making the heaven of heavens his dwelling place, spares but the cloudy border of his base. To the foiled searching of mortality, and thou who didst the stars and, and sunbeams know, Self-schooled, self-scanned, self-honoured, self-secure, didst walk on earth unguessed at, better so. All pains the immortal spirit must endure, all weakness that impairs, all griefs that bow, find their sole voice in that victorious brow. Last one, from the hymn of Empistocles. Is it so small a thing to have enjoyed the sun, to have lived light in the spring, to have loved, to have thought, to have done, to have advanced true friends, and beat down baffling foes, that we must feign a bliss of doubtful future date, and while we dream on this, lose all our present state, and regulate to world yet distance our repose. Not much I know you prize what pleasures may be had, who look on life with eyes as strange like mine and sad and yet the village churl feels the truth more than you who's loth to leave this life which to him little yields his hard-tasked sunburnt wife his often laboured fields the boars with whom he talked the country spots he knew but thou because thou hearest men scoff at heaven and fate because the gods thou fearest fail to make blessed thy state Tremblest and wilt not dare to trust the joys there are. I say, fear not, life still leaves human effort scope. But since life teems with ill, nurse no extravagant hope. Because thou must not dream, thou needest not then despair. Alrighty, there we go, that's it.
we are done with uh, Arthur. What's his name? Matthew Arthur? Something like that. Arnold? Matthew Arnold. All right. Anywho, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.